Ladies and gentlemen, the captain has turned on the fasten seatbelt sign. If you haven't already done so, please make sure the volume of this podcast is set perfectly to your listening enjoyment. Please take your seat, whether that's on the treadmill, car, sofa, or bed, and buckle in for the last trip. My name is Jamie Beebe, and I'll be your tour guide recreating someone's last days in paradise. On behalf of myself and everyone behind the scenes, please enjoy the Last Trip Podcast. And because nobody likes a long flight to get to where they want to be, let's prepare for takeoff. Our victim today is Jon Jonsson, a 41-year-old man who traveled from Iceland to Ireland on February 8, 2019 to take part in a poker tournament. His fiance arrived the next morning to join him on the holiday, but while she was grabbing a coffee, he stepped out of his hotel seemingly for a quick smoke. Jon was never seen again. And five years later, there are almost no clues at all. Traveling from Iceland to Ireland was a quick two and a half hour flight for Jon. And because he loved poker so much, it made sense to attend the 2019 D4 Events Dublin Poker Festival from February 8th to the 17th. And because there are some really cool things to see in the capital of Ireland, he planned to tour the sites with his fiance Jana after playing poker all weekend. Dublin Castle would be high on anyone's list. It's one of the country's most historically significant landmarks. With construction of the first stone castle on the site beginning in the early 13th century under the orders of King John of England. It underwent several expansions and renovations through the years and today it serves as a government complex and cultural center that's open to the public for guided tours and events. Visitors can explore the lavish interiors and beautifully restored chapel dating back to the 19th century. Founded in 1191 is St. Patrick's Cathedral, the largest church in Ireland, dedicated to Ireland patron St. Patrick, who is credited with bringing Christianity there in the 5th century. It's an architectural masterpiece with a combination of Gothic and medieval styles. And of course, the Guinness Storehouse, one of the top tourist sites in Dublin. Guinness was founded by Arthur Guinness in 1759 at the St. James Gate Brewery when he was just 34 years old. He signed a 9,000-year lease for the brewery, which says he really believed in his beer. It is still up and running today and offers interactive exhibits detailing the history of the beer and a gorgeous panoramic view of Dublin from the bar. It's a must-see for any visitor. Beyond cultural landmarks and sites, Dublin is known for its pub culture, with countless traditional pubs scattered throughout the city. You can enjoy a pint of Guinness, as well as live music, storytelling, and hanging out with the locals. Dubliners, or dubs, are known for their friendliness and hospitality. They give a warm welcome to tourists and visitors, whether in a pub, restaurant, or just on the streets. Dubs have sharp wit and a keen sense of humor. They enjoy banter and storytelling and take pride in their city's rich history and cultural heritage. Despite being a bustling capital city, Dubliners generally have a laid-back and relaxed attitude enjoying the simple pleasures in life. They also have a strong sense of community and most actively participate in community events, volunteer initiatives, and cultural activities that contribute to their city. The people really make the city a great place to visit for any type of tourist. When Jon went missing, his family was really thankful for how much the people of Dublin helped with the search. And you guys know I love visiting the odd and strange things when I travel, and Dublin has a few. The Hungry Tree would be my first photo op in the city. 
It's an 80-year-old tree that's currently in the process of devouring a cast iron bench. Through the years, the tree has grown and started to swallow up the bench that was next to it. It is definitely something I have not seen before. In St. Mission's Church, down a set of dimly lit narrow stone steps is a vault with dozens of coffins full of mummies. After time, the coffins have started falling apart and the mummies have been tumbling out through the years. The most famous one is an 800-year-old mummy known as the Crusader. It's believed he was a soldier, and being six and a half feet tall, his legs are actually broken and folded under him just to fit into the casket. But the more unusual part is that his arm stretches up out of the casket, and at one point visitors were even encouraged to give it a shake. Legend has it that his ghost roams the catacombs and people claim to have felt a chilling presence and several have even seen a ghostly figure. And I would never skip over the leprechauns. These small mythical creatures of Irish folklore have a penchant for mischief and a pot of gold hidden at the end of a rainbow. The stories and legends have been passed down for centuries. They're usually solitary shoemakers or cobblers who possess great wealth and magical powers known for their cunning nature and ability to outwit humans who try to capture them. While they have the ability to grant wishes and bestow good fortune on those who do catch them, they also play tricks and pranks, so you might not get the exact wish you want. That being said, the National Leprechaun Museum in Dublin is a sure stop for any visitor. During the day, it's your average family museum full of stories and statues. But if you go at night, you take an adventure led through the dark with guides who act out the more adult themes found in Irish legends. It is not suitable for children, but sounds like a really great time to me. Unfortunately, Yon was only in Dublin for one day before he mysteriously vanished minutes after stepping outside of his hotel. So there was no time to see the sights. Let's learn more about Jan Jonsson after these messages from our sponsors. Hi, I'm Lynn. I'm a mom to three small kids, and I'm a bit obsessed with true crime. And what else? Hansen, the band Hansen. Some of our younger listeners may not know who they are. Do yourself a favor and YouTube Oombop and thank me later. <clears throat> and I'm Matt. I lack most social skills and make jokes as a defense mechanism when I'm uncomfortable. Which is a lot, especially when talking about murder. <laughs> it's not just true crime. It can be anything and everything scary. Each week, Lynn takes us on a scary deep dive of different cases. You might even learn something new or relearn something that you thought you already knew. Like, I don't know, the Menendez brothers were actually cousins. Oh, OJ's first name? It's Orange. Uh, do you ever actually even listen to me when I speak? Hmm? We do, however, cover the Menendez brothers, OJ, the death of playmate Dorothy Stratton, and WWE star Chris Benoit. So OJ's first name, not Orange. Oh, brother. Uh, we release a new episode every Tuesday, and we go into detail about the cases we cover on our Instagram, at EverythingScaryPod. Give us a shot. You won't regret it. And if you do, please direct all your complaints to Lynn. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs> Jan Thruster Janssen was 41 years old when he disappeared, and his disappearance was a complete shock to everyone who knew him because it was so totally out of character. When he went missing, his whole family sprang into action instantly, arriving in Ireland right away to look for him and have never given up. He was born in Iceland on October 30, 1977, the oldest of five siblings and named after his grandfathers. 
His sister, Thoron, only 15 months younger than Yon, wrote on a Facebook page dedicated to finding her brother. When I graduated from college, he bought me my graduation dress because I couldn't afford one. When I turned 30, he paid for my first tattoo. Our firstborn children were six months apart, and his house was the second home to me and my son. His doors are always open, his arms always extended. He will always listen. He's not a man of many words, but the silences are always comfortable. She said he was the rock in her life, and in the unlikely event of her ever getting arrested, he's the person she would call to get her out. That really gives you the sense of who Yon was, because we all have that one person in our lives that is our get-out-of-jail person. She said he is the most reliable and trustworthy person she knows. And anyone that knows him would say the same thing, that he would never just up and leave. He worked as a taxi driver in Reykjavik, and even if he was going to be late from work, he would let his family or his fiancé know. He was just that type of responsible person. Yon was also a family man, the type that would never want his kids to grow up without a father. He had four children, ages 11, 11, 16, and 17. Two children from a previous marriage, and two children with his fiancé. His ex-wife, Nina, said that he was there for her and their two daughters no matter what. She said she's known him for 24 years, and during that time, they've been lovers, partners, couples, parents, and best friends. She said it's incomprehensible to imagine that the earth just swallowed him up, and they desperately need him to come home. They just want to be able to hug him and tell him how much they care about him and how important he is in their lives. Yon's sister wrote that he was somewhat of a typical Scorpio, charming, brave, and strong-willed, although some might call him stubborn. She said he's always been independent and left home early. He's a kind and gentle soul, extremely intelligent, reserved, yet outgoing, and he's also just not interested in politics or religion. Yon's family was devastated and heartbroken when they found out he had vanished. Nothing made sense because it was so completely out of character for him. They knew he would not have gone missing voluntarily. Yun was in good health both mentally and physically, and he was open about his finances and doing just fine. He was a responsible poker player, wasn't taking any medication, and there was no history of mental illness. He was an amazing family man, a caring father, a loving son, a fiancé, and overall a wonderful human being. His disappearance is a baffling mystery with basically no clues to go on. So let's get into the timeline and the facts we do know about this case. Hey guys, I hope you're all enjoying The Last Trip podcast. I'm excited to tell you about my bikini company, The Boyfriend Bikini. Now I love traveling, especially to warm tropical beaches. And I found myself always searching for the perfect travel bikini. Something sexy, great for any occasion, and easy to stuff in my bag when I'm on the go. So I took all the best bikini ideas, worked with a fashion designer in Paris and a manufacturer in Bali to create my new swimwear company, The Boyfriend Bikini. You know that saying about how girls level up after a relationship ends? They travel more, get hotter, and start a new business? Well, that's exactly what I did. The Boyfriend Bikini is about taking control of your happiness, personal growth, and being a total girl boss. I've named each bikini after a type of man I know good and bad, because each one helped me grow into who I am today. When you order your favorite boyfriend bikini, you'll get the story behind the man that inspired that bikini. And because you listened to the last trip, I'm giving you 10% off your order by using code TRAVEL. 
Also, a portion of all sales will go to the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence. Just go to theboyfriendbikini.com and use code TRAVEL to get 10% off your order. That's theboyfriendbikini.com, code TRAVEL to get 10% off your order. Happy traveling! Yon arrived in Ireland on Friday, February 8th, 2019, with plans to join a poker tournament over the weekend and then spend the rest of his 10-day vacation seeing the sights with his fiance Yana. And his trip was nothing out of the ordinary. He was an experienced poker player and often traveled to tournaments. But he'd never been to Ireland before and even talked to several friends about what to do and where to go while visiting to have a great time. He arrived by himself and checked into the Bonington Hotel in Whitehall, North Dublin, the same hotel that was hosting the tournament. He played poker through the night of his arrival, then went to sleep in his room around 5 a.m. His fiancée, Yana, arrived that morning on February 9th. She was originally supposed to arrive with him, but had some issues with her passport, so she took a later flight. She found Yon still sleeping in his room around 10 a.m. After a brief hello and conversation, Yana decided to go downstairs to grab a coffee. While she was at the hotel bar getting her coffee, Yon was seen on CCTV leaving the Bonington Hotel at 11.05 a.m. We don't know his reason for leaving, but at 11.07 a.m., he was seen outside exiting onto the Swords Road, walking northbound towards the airport. He passed a bar and a nursing home before exiting northbound on Swords Road toward Collins Avenue. The last sighting was when Yon passed the entrance of Highfield Healthcare Center and then disappeared from sight and has never been seen on any other CCTV in the area. When he left the hotel, he appeared to be calm, walking normally, and lighting up a smoke. It looked like he was on a stroll for a morning cigarette. He left most of his belongings in the hotel, including his phone, passport, and wallet, only bringing his cigarettes, credit cards, and hotel room key. The credit cards he had with him have never been used. His family has speculated that he might have had a large amount of cash on him from poker playing, possibly several thousand euros, but that has never been confirmed. No cash was found in his hotel room, so it's assumed he had it with him or he could have lost it the night before. While he would normally have his phone with him, he told friends that it was having some battery issues and was working weird the day before. When it was found in his room, it was plugged in, but the battery was dead. When Yon didn't return all day, Yana grew increasingly worried and reported Yon missing to the Guardi the very next day on February 10, 2019. As soon as his family learned there was a problem, they went straight there to look for him. They handed out flyers, spoke to people on the streets, and hung missing person posters throughout the area. And this area of Whitehall, North Dublin, is really gentrified. A lot of foot traffic, especially in the middle of the day on a Saturday. Collins Avenue is very affluent and not at all the type of place where you'd expect any kind of trouble in the middle of the day. It's not associated with criminal activity or gangs. On February 18th, the family set up a Facebook page and a GoFundMe to help in the cost of the search. They were exhausted, spending every moment searching but coming up with no clues at all. Search and rescue specialists from Iceland showed up to assist along with air support and dog units from Ireland. Everyone was looking for Jan, but it was like he vanished into thin air. On February 23rd, Jan's family and around 80 volunteers within the community searched the Whitehall area of Dublin, starting at the Bonington Hotel and working their way out. 
but there was still no trace of Jan. News media started picking up the story, giving the family a platform to ask anyone that was in the area or that knows anything to please come forward. They had hope of finding Jan alive and wouldn't leave Ireland without him. They appealed for any drivers or cyclists with dashboard cameras in the area between 11 a.m. and 2 p.m. to come forward in case they caught something on tape that could help. They scoured hour after hour of CCTV footage from the streets, private houses, and public transportation, but found absolutely nothing. They did possibly find a cigarette box and a cigarette butt on Grace Park Road. That was the brand he smoked and not available in Ireland, but the lead didn't go anywhere. From the news media and the Irish TV show Crime Call airing the story, people started reaching out to authorities with tips. But still, none led to Yon. On March 3rd, the Ireland Civil Defense joined in the search, becoming a milestone the family had been striving for. They thoroughly searched a one-kilometer radius from where Yon was last seen without any results. But that's not necessarily bad news. It just meant they could rule the area out and move their search elsewhere. They started mapping out new theories and strategies on where he could possibly be. On March 15th, Yon's family launched the Have You Seen My Brother campaign in an effort to spread the word about his disappearance. With still no clues to his whereabouts, in April, the family posted on the Yon Yonson is Missing Facebook page, kindly asking for mediums and clairvoyants claiming to have information to stop contacting them. They said that while they respect their beliefs and way of life, they're only looking for people that had actually seen Yon in person. They wanted to find him alive, and hearing from mediums saying that he was trapped under a boulder or stuck in a mine didn't help their search. But the possibility of finding Yon alive was diminishing every day, and DNA samples were taken from the family just in case they were needed. Because he simply disappeared off CCTV footage, most of the family assumed he got into some kind of vehicle and could have been anywhere. But they weren't going to give up, and their only priority was to bring him home. In December of 2019, with still no leads, the family hired Irish private investigator Liam Brady. Liam Brady previously worked on the missing case of Amy Fitzpatrick in Spain. 15-year-old Amy went missing on New Year's Day 2008 after babysitting with her friend. She left her friend's house and should have arrived home a few minutes later, but never did. Her parents think she was likely murdered by an Irish gangland killer, but they've never found her body and the case remains unsolved. While Liam didn't immediately turn up any new leads in Yon's case, he did rule out the idea that he left on his own accord. Yon had recently applied for a new taxi license back home, had future plans with his family, and also had never been to Dublin before and theoretically didn't know anyone in the area and would have great difficulty in hiding his own body. He had no reason or means to start a new life, and if he committed suicide, they would have found his body. Although the family was still searching, things started to quiet down considerably. Leads had dried up, and finding a new direction was nearly impossible. Then, in October of 2020, the Independent published a disturbing article about Yon's disappearance, including details pertaining to his death from a prison informant. Directly following that story, the family posted a message saying the leads were made up and had no merit, that it shows a complete lack of respect and disregard to Yon's family for publishing information without checking the accuracy. They also said they were looking into legal action against the media outlet. 
After that, there were no updates and almost no news at all for several years. Then, in January of 2024, Anna, Yon's sister, posted on the website and Facebook page that the family, along with Icelandic public broadcaster and Irish public broadcaster, were working on a podcast series about Yon and his case. They asked for anyone involved in the search, anyone who played poker in the tournament, anyone who knew him, or anyone who knew anything about the case, to reach out through email to liam.obrien at rte.ie or anna.marcible.clausen at ruv.is. I think a podcast is a great idea to get more awareness and more eyes on the case. Someone somewhere knows what happened to Jan. And it's only a matter of time until they find answers. There's always a chance doing a podcast could help somebody remember a clue or even push someone to come forward. On the five-year anniversary of Yon's disappearance, February 9th, 2024, it looked like there was finally a break in the case. News outlets started reporting a new development. And I'll read the Facebook post from his family about this. Today marks five years since Jon disappeared without a trace in Dublin. Five years of feeling like we were speaking to a brick wall, and with little to no support from authorities, Icelandic or Irish, has taken a toll on all of us on top of grieving Jon. This has been a long and rocky road, and we still haven't reached the destination. Since the media has published news articles today regarding new developments in the case, we decided to write a very brief update. Two of Jon's siblings are now in Dublin with the goal of re-establishing a line of communication to the Guardi and trying to get some answers. They've also met with a missing persons organization in Ireland who provided some very valuable insights and advice. We thank everyone who has in some way provided support to the case through the years, whether offering on-the-ground support when we've been in Dublin, helping to spread the word, or simply by writing words of encouragement on this page. We really appreciate your kindness towards our family. At this point, we will not respond to any incoming media inquiries, as we need time to process new information, consult with police and trusted advisors, and decide on next steps. News media said sources told them officers suspect Yon was killed on the day he vanished after a meeting he organized went terribly wrong. They said officers believed he lost thousands of euros while playing poker, and he was meeting someone to get access to more cash, and there may have been a conflict during the meeting. The next day, Investigator Superintendent Darren McCarthy said in a news conference that they received two items of anonymous correspondence and they have been assessing the contents. They appealed to the author or authors or anyone in relation to the correspondence to come forward and make direct contact. On February 13th, police started a new search of Santry Dements, which is a public park in Dublin. The park is approximately three and a half kilometers from where Yon was last seen. The search was triggered by these two anonymous letters. One was sent to the police, the other to a priest who gave it to the police. So, according to the police, there was enough information in the letters for them to be believable and warrant a search for Yon's remains. They had a dive team for the lake within the park, as well as search dogs looking for buried human remains. On February 15th, forensic examination was carried out in a section of the park where three dogs had separately picked up a scent in the same spot. The section of woodland was sealed off as a potential crime scene, and they were using ground-penetrating imagery to survey the site for evidence of soil disturbance or possible human remains. Yon's family was there, waiting to hear any news. 
But unfortunately, they found nothing, and the next day, the search was called off. And it's possible the letters held no truth. Until Yon is found, or someone comes forward, the motives reported in the news media are just possible theories, and we can't take it as truth. As of today, the mystery still remains. With the latest search called off, they are no closer to finding out what happened to Yon Yonsen. Or are they? I do think Yon Yonsen's family will find out sooner than later what happened to him. The letters showing up after five years is a huge clue. The case went silent over the last few years, so whoever wrote the letters might know what happened. They either wanted the case back in the media because they did something to Yon and wanted recognition, or they felt bad and wanted his family to know what happened. There is always a possibility the letters came from someone looking to just stir things up or someone with a mental illness trying to insert themselves into the limelight. But in this case, I think it's someone who knows something. I do think someone hurt Yon and knows exactly where his body is. The real question is who and why. It's likely he got in some kind of a vehicle when he went missing from CCTV, or he would have been seen continuing his walk. It could have been a private vehicle or possibly a taxi. A large portion of taxi drivers in Ireland are foreign nationals, so they may not tune into local news and know that Yon was missing, or they may not have a legal taxi license, so they were afraid to come forward. It doesn't look like he planned to be gone long, or he would have brought his things with him and told his fiancé where he was going. One possibility that has been thrown around was that Yon was being invited to an underground poker game and met with the wrong crowd. Although, by all accounts, it doesn't seem to be his personality to run off to an underground poker game. He was already in town for a poker tournament, so why go to a totally different game? Especially since his fiance had just arrived and he barely got a chance to say hello to her. It's possible he met with random violence, although he was in a nice area of town in the middle of the day on a Saturday. Someone would have seen something, and Yon was a big guy. He would have put up a fight. I think he woke up and went outside to stretch his legs and have a quick smoke while his fiance was grabbing a coffee, and he had every intention of being back at the hotel a few minutes later. Perhaps he ran into someone he recognized from the poker game the night before, and they convinced him to join them for a coffee or a drink. They realized he had cash on him, and something happened to Yon when they tried to steal it. I question how he could have made plans to meet someone ahead of time because there was nothing on his phone to indicate that, and his phone wasn't even working well. There were no messages that he was going to meet anyone, and there was no record of anyone calling his hotel phone either. It's possible he made plans with someone to get more money for the tournament, or to loan someone money for the tournament while he was playing the night before, and they already had a time and place to meet. But him waking up and going out for a smoke seemed so random and uneventful. He wasn't walking in any type of hurry on the CCTV footage. It doesn't seem like he's heading in any specific direction either. It looks like he's taking a morning stroll. I really don't want to theorize on what happened to Yon Yonsen, but I do think with the renewed interest in this case, his family will very soon find out. If you're going to visit Ireland, how can you stay safe? Well, according to the Global Peace Index, Ireland was ranked as the third safest country in the world in 2023, just behind Iceland and Denmark. It was also crowned the safest country in the world for women traveling solo. So Ireland is probably overall safer than whatever country you're visiting from. 
but that certainly doesn't mean you can let your guard down. Staying safe in Ireland is mostly using common sense. Watch for pickpocketers like you would in any tourist area. Don't leave your things laying around, don't flaunt your money or expensive jewelry, and don't talk about history, politics, or religion. Always research your destination before any trip. Get familiar with the customs, the culture, and the areas to avoid. Ireland is known for pub culture and drinking, so know your limits before you start drinking. Always pace yourself and never leave a drink unattended. Or just go for the experience and don't drink at all. A hangover is the worst on a vacation. One interesting thing I learned about Ireland is that while St. Patrick's Day is a widely celebrated Irish holiday, Halloween actually started in Ireland as well. Halloween dates back 2,000 years to the time of the Celts, marking the end of the harvest season and the beginning of winter. It was believed to be a time when the boundaries between the living and the dead were blurred. People would light bonfires and wear costumes to ward off evil spirits. They also believed that the spirits of the dead returned to earth during this time, and offerings of food and drink were left out to appease them. When Christianity spread into the region, November 1st became known as All Saints Day, and the day before became known as All Hallows' Eve, which evolved into Halloween. Through the years, it turned into the Halloween that we know today all over the world. Irish and English are the two official languages in Ireland, so speaking English should get you by just fine. They do have some truly unique slang words. The word crake can be used a couple different ways. The first is to describe something as fun, like last night was some crake. Or you can also use it as a greeting, like what's the crake? As in what's up or what's going on? Banjangst is a phrase used to describe something or someone as broke or in a bad way. That oven is banjangst. Or I was banjangst this morning after all those pints last night. Feck is arguably one of the most famous Irish slang words used sometimes as a less bold way of saying another F-word we all know, or to describe someone they don't like or find annoying. That fecker shortchanged me by a euro. And there are quite a few others, so do some research because you don't want to sound like a total tourist while you're there. Ireland has similar etiquette to the rest of the world. Take your hat off when entering a home, church, or pub, shake hands when you meet someone, say please and thank you. It's acceptable in Ireland to go to pubs before you're the legal age of 18, so you'll commonly see children there, especially in rural areas, when they have live music. And when you're in the pub with a group, it's customary for each person in the group to buy a round of drinks for everyone in the group and take turns. If you fail to buy your round, you'll likely be seen as rude or stingy. If you plan on traveling throughout Ireland, it's important to note that Ireland and Northern Ireland are two separate countries. They have their own currencies, their own flags, their own governments, and even use different measuring systems. Ireland is part of Europe, where Northern Ireland is part of the United Kingdom. If you plan to visit both countries, make sure to do your research. And remember, always inform someone about your plans before going anywhere. Tell someone reliable where you're going and what you'll be doing and when to expect you back. My number one tip to staying alive on vacation is to pay attention to your gut. If something doesn't feel right, it isn't. Jon Jonsson has been missing from Dublin, Ireland since February 9, 2019. He was 41 years old, six feet tall, had short brown hair and a medium build. 
He was wearing black jeans, a black padded bomber jacket, black and white sneakers, and a black t-shirt with a message written in white on the front. He also had a large tattoo on his shoulder. Anyone with information about Yonyonsen is asked to contact Ballyman Gardy Station or email findyonindublin at gmail.com. And that's Yon with a J, F-I-N-D-J-O-N-I-N-D-U-B-L-I-N at gmail.com. Or email private investigator Liam Brady at liam at liamabrady.ie. And finally, remember to leave a review and rate this podcast five stars if you like the show, or hell, even if you don't. But either way, feel free to let me know what you think. Please follow The Last Trip on Instagram at The Last Trip Crime Pod and subscribe on Patreon to support the show. You'll get extra research, videos, photos, and updates, and even learn more about my personal travels. That's patreon.com slash the last trip podcast. I'm Jamie Beebe, bringing you your last trip and signing off until the next one. Thanks for listening.